Hello, everyone, and thank you for coming to Sandra Stenography and Shorthand. And tonight I'm going to go ahead and get into this because I'm just slightly tired from work and I just like to go ahead and get this started so um, I'm not up all night like I was last night. So take a deep breath. Yep, we're going to go ahead and jump right on in it. And um, feet flat on the floor. Mind is clear. And you're ready to write. And you can write this. I won't be going very fast at all. I want you to aim for accuracy rather than speed on this take. Ready? And five. Four, three, two, one. Now, what is the evidence that the government of the United States, what do we have to show you that the defendant with premeditation and malice aforethought and cold blood destroyed his family. Ladies and gentlemen, the evidence will show that about nine and a half years ago in 1970, there lived at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, a federal military reservation the McDonald family. There were four members of that family. Colette, at that time, the evidence will show, was about 26 years of age. She and the defendant had learned, I think at Thanksgiving of 1969, shortly before, that they were to have another child. Colette was the mother of two. She and the defendant, Dr. McDonald, had gotten married in the early to mid 60s and Colette had quit school, quit college. Kimberly was born and Colette never finished her college education. And so, like so many people, during this time in her life, she was trying to complete what she had given up before. She was an English lit major in college, but she was taking a class in child psychology in February of 1970. Kimberly McDonald was five years of age in 1970. She would be six in April. She was in kindergarten, very bright, very friendly, by all accounts, her father's child. Christian, the baby, was two. 
she would be three in May. She was shy and somewhat of a tomboy. The defendant, Jeffrey McDonald, also like Colette, about the same age. They had dated off and on through high school, was a doctor, ambitious. They had come to Fort Bragg just a few months before late summer, early fall of 1969. McDonald was a member of the Special Forces interested in becoming the physician for the Fort Bragg boxing team. This was the McDonald family on the 6th of February, 1970. On the evening of the 16th, it was a Monday night. Colette McDonald, as had been her custom, was going to her child psychology class with a friend and neighbor, Elizabeth Christia. Now, Elizabeth Christia Ramage. They went to class, Colette, rather soft-spoken, did, in fact, speak up that night at class, which was somewhat unusual for her. And she asked a couple of questions concerning the bedwetting problems that one of her children had. The class ended at its usual time. I think Elizabeth Crystal got home about 9.30 that night. And Colette got home a few minutes later. Colette having driven Elizabeth Crystal to class. Colette went inside 544 Castle Drive for the last time. The evidence, ladies and gentlemen, will show that on the 16th, it was cold, wet, rainy, miserable, a typical North Carolina February night, that it had rained hard off and on during the early evening slowing to a light drizzle in the early morning and that sometime between three and four o'clock on the 17th of February, 1970, the lives of Colette, Kimberly, and Christian McDonald came to an abrupt and terminable halt. They died. They died a terrible death. Colette died as a result of being clubbed and stabbed to death. K 
Kimberly died as a result of being clubbed and stabbed to death. And Christian died as a result of being stabbed and, and stabbed and stabbed to death. The defendant, Jeffrey McDonald, was also at home that night. He, alone of the family, remained alive. On that night, as on most nights in Fort Bragg, the military police were on patrol throughout the area. Castle Drive is a part of Corregidor Courts, which is a housing area for officers at Fort Bragg. One MP will say and has said that he had the opportunity that night to pass near Castle Drive a number of times and saw no one except a guard at the PX. It appeared to be relatively quiet evening, except of course at Castle Drive at 544. At about 3.40 or 3.42 a.m., military police were alerted by a telephone call that a domestic disturbance had occurred at that address, and they were alerted to go there, and they did. Within minutes at about 4 o'clock a.m., MPs were at the McDonald residence. They got out of their Jeeps, went to the front of the McDonald address and attempted to gain entrance to learn that the front door was locked. One of them, Richard Tevere, went around the back to see if he could gain entry from the back because he happened to know the area and knew that they had back doors. So he went around the back and he saw that the back door to the McDonald apartment, the screen door was closed, but the hardwood back door was open. He went in, first through a darkened utility room, and then into a left master bedroom. When he saw, what he saw was two people, a man and a woman. The woman lying on her back near a green chair, dead. A man lying next to her, he knew not at that point what condition he was in. Tavir immediately left the apartment, ran outside, ran around the back and said, 
call Womack as soon as possible. Womack being the Army General Hospital. Other MPs came around to the back and followed him in. They did not know at that point what else they would find. They did not know whether there were intruders in the house. They did not know whether anyone else had been killed. Then Tevir walked down the hallway after he left the master bedroom to see if he saw anyone. A hall and bathroom light was on and a kitchen light also was on. He did not see at that point anyone else. He came back to the master bedroom. At this point, another MP, Kenneth Micah, had seen the male. He was the defendant, Jeffrey McDonald, on the floor and recognized that he was alive. He then requested of the MPs some assistance. Micah gave the, the defendant mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. He gave it to the defendant about three times. The first time, it only lasted about a minute or so. The defendant on the floor attempted to resist the mouth to mouth resuscitation and said to the MPs, check my kids. Look what they've done to my wife. So Tavir, for the first time, realizing that there might be other people in the apartment, went down the hallway, went into the front bedroom facing the street which was where Kimberly slept, walked in two or three steps and saw in the bed a little girl obviously dead. He went directly across the hall. He did not go into the other bedroom at that point because he could see from the doorway another little girl obviously dead with a pool of blood on the floor. She was laying on her side. Tavir went back to the master bedroom. Micah had been giving the defendant mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. And the question was asked, who has done this to you? The defendant responded, quote, four people, close quote, he knew of four intruders, hippies, a woman carrying a candle, and three males. Also that night, at about the same time the MPs got there, or shortly before, a criminal investigation division duty agent, William Ivory, was on duty and heard the radio call. He got up and went to Castle Drive immediately. 
He alerted other investigators after he got there to come as well. Upon arriving there shortly after four o'clock a.m., he went in through the living room. The living room door had been opened by one of the MPs and he saw the defendant being wheeled out and carried out on a stretcher. He did not know who he was at that point. He immediately went through the house and saw the three people dead and noted that there was an MP standing guard at both the front and the back of the house. For the next four hours, four o'clock until eight o'clock, the processing of that crime scene took place. Notes were taken and photographs of every conceivable thing would be made and body outlines of Colette and Kimberly and Christian would be drawn. That is to say, body outline in a felt pen around where they lay so it could be marked. In a short time, maybe five or six o'clock that morning, Agent Bob Shaw observed and collected four items. In the master bedroom near the dresser, a paring knife. Outside near the house, three items, a piece of wood, a club, and another paring knife with the words, quote, old hickory, close quote, written on it, and an ice pick. Ladies and gentlemen, with respect to these four items, the government of the United States will offer evidence and prove to you, one, that the club of which I speak came from the McDonald house and was the murder weapon or one of the murder weapons that was used to attack Kimberly and Colette McDonald. Two, the ice pick could have been the weapon that killed Christian McDonald and Colette McDonald or at least put the wounds in their bodies, assisting in killing them. That the McDonald family had ice picks or an ice pick. Three, that the other paring knife, the quote, old hickory, close quote, knife, a sharp blade, single-edged blade, blade could have been the knife that stabbed Colette, stabbed Kimberly, and stabbed Kirsten, and that the McDonald family did, in fact, have knives. And with respect to the fourth knife, a Geneva forge knife, that like the old hickory knife, it too could have come from the McDonald household. At about eight o'clock a.m., Colette and Kimberly and Christian 
Phil left Castle Drive for the last time. They also, like the defendant, went to Womack. They did not go to the same place, though. They went to the morgue. At about 9.30 that morning, their bodies were autopsied. Colette was examined by Dr. Gamble. The autopsy of Colette revealed certain things that will be revealed to you during the course of this trial by the government. First, both arms, right and left, were broken. The right arm broken, both bones, the left arm, one bone broken twice at different places, that on or about her face, head, and chin suffered approximately six blunt trauma injuries that could have been inflicted by the use of the club to which I have earlier referred, that her skull was fractured and she also had a wound on her chest that could have come from the end of a club. She suffered approximately 16 wounds that could have been inflicted with a sharp edged knife, stab wounds, seven in her chest, nine in her back. Her trachea had been cut, both lungs and pulmonary artery. Colette bled to death. Finally, she also suffered approximately 24 puncture wounds that could have been inflicted by the use of the ice pick to which I have earlier referred. Three of those wounds in the left arm, 21 on her chest, 16 on the left and five on the right. Kimberly would suffer at least two blunt trauma injuries. Her right cheekbone, her nose would be broken, the back of her skull fractured in every conceivable part, and about eight to ten stab wounds that could have been inflicted with a sharp knife, to which I have earlier referred in her neck. I'm going to go a little faster. Kristen, the only one of the three that would not suffer a blunt trauma wound, such as with a club, but would suffer at least 33 ice pack or stabbing wounds, 16 approximately with an ice pick, 17 have referred the ice pick and the old hickory knife. Christian would also have on her hand and fingers both cuttings. Dr. McDonald, the defendant who had left the hospital about four o'clock in the about four o'clock, would also be examined and also had injuries. What does our evidence reveal with respect to his injuries? That he had one bump on his head a cut on his left arm, a scratch on his right, several abrasions in this portion of the chest, a laceration above his navel, 
a paper cut on his finger, no wounds on his back, but an incision in the right part of his chest. An incision which would later cause him to have a second chest tube inserted. Due to a pneumothorax or a partial collapse of the right lung. Dr. McDonald's, the evidence will show you, is very much alive. On the 17th, the defendant would be interviewed for the first of several times. The first by Paul Connolly of the Criminal Intelligence Division and subsequently that day by Bob Caverly of the FBI. And Bob Caverly would go back and interview him again on the next day and also the next day. All right, that's pretty much about a good solid 20 minutes of writing. Um, sorry, I didn't do this at any particular speed. Um, but I'm thinking about um, going ahead and marking this off for speed and then going ahead and dictating it to you. But that will be for another day. So I thank you all for joining me, even though I'm live and no one is here. I still thank you. Maybe later on, you'll get a chance to um, um, practice this material. Hope I didn't go too fast, but I did speed it up at the end for those people who can write a little faster. Don't want to keep it at the same pace because that's not fair to the people that can write this a little faster. Um, let me see. There was one word in here that's new, like pneumonia instead of, it's pneumothrax, P-N-E-U-M-O-T-H-O-R-A-X. Um, let me see if there's anything else I might want to point out to you guys. I thought I heard Dr. Gamel, G-A-M-M-E-L, Colette, C-O-L-E-T-T-E. Christian is spelled C-R-I-S-T-E-N. Of course, you know, um, Castle Drive. Let me see. They, these, um, if, if you were to subscribe this, transcribe this, you would have to put the one, the two, and the three in parentheses on the left side of the page. We've got Old Hickory. MPs, capital M, capital P. Apostrophe S. McDonald, of course, it's spelled M A C D O N A L D. Autopsy, we need to probably have a brief for that. I could look one up. Um, inflicted. I think that's it that I saw in this part here all right so anyway we'll go ahead call it a night thank you so much for joining me hope you watch this later and um you guys have a great great evening and a great day tomorrow as well
Thank you so much. And bye-bye. Hello. Are you interested in starting your own podcast? I think Anchor FM is the best. Here's why. With easy and fast setup, you'll be a pro in podcasting right out the gate. There is no additional equipment to buy because you can podcast right from your phone, your laptop, or your desktop computer. Anchor has great editing features such as music and even splitting your podcast in sections. And Anchor does all the distribution for you to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google, and more. And the best part about Anchor is you can make money with no minimum listening audience. So, download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started.